Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
Good morning and welcome to worship. Good to have you all with us today. Let's stand and sing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
it's only in your will that I am free, Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be. I'm going to read Psalm 40, 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord, are my God, are the wonders you have done, the things that you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened." Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Let's pray. O Lord God, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain Fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at Jesus sought me when a stranger, 
from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood Oh to grace How great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy good like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you've come to bring peace, to be loved, to be nearer to us. Oh, you've come to bring life, to be shine brighter in us, O oh Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, you've come to bring peace, to be loved, to be near. 
come to bring life to be light to shine brighter in us oh sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of the Lord. Word.
The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily today. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The, um, uh, it's, today we start a new sermon series on the book of Galatians. Um, and the book of Galatians is birthed out of this sort of conflict that's happening in the early church as it gets off to a start. There's, there's, there's sort of rival things going on. But, but, I, but I wanted to start with the observation that isn't it weird, uh, 2,000 years later, we're reading somebody else's mail. Um, and what that means is that we did not send a letter to the Apostle Paul at the start of this story. Neither do we know all of what occurred that leads to this letter. We have one side of the conversation, and we have our own projections and answers on sort of what's going on in Galatia and how Paul might respond to it. But really, 2,000 years removed, this is like finding a letter and then thinking it's addressed to us. And that's the challenge with Scripture, because is Scripture is God-breathed. It is addressed to us. That's why we stand often when we read scripture at Defiance Church, because we think in some ways we're hearing from God when we read and open the scriptures together. And so while this letter is born out of a particular um, conversation and context and question and answer, what we find is that it still speaks to us today. It speaks beyond the page. Now, at the... Um, start of the century, uh, one of the names we talk about here, the theologian Karl Barth, is uh, writing his commentary on the epistle to the Romans. And at the height of this time, the method at examining how something is written is the historical critical method, which sounds as exciting as it just did when I said it. The historical critical method. And the historical credit method is, and we deal with this some still, what's well, still popular in our world and in certain parts of the academy, is that the historical critical method tries to scrape away to say what exactly was happening. When did Paul go to Galatia? When did he uh, plant the churches in Galatia? When did he leave Galatia? When did these alternative teachers, which we won't talk about a lot today, but that's going to be a part of this sermon series, come in and start convincing people of another gospel? When did Paul hear about these teachers telling them about another gospel? What was all of the context of the other gospel? What particular concerns and what was Galatia like? And all of these things. And then if we can get back to that radical kernel of what, well, and some people didn't actually think it was a radical kernel. If we get back to that original message, then we'll know the book of Galatians. And what Bart says at the start of his commentary in the book of Romans, he says, you know, I'm less concerned about what Paul was saying to the Romans or in my words today, I'm less concerned about what Paul was saying to the Galatians as much as I'm concerned about what Paul is speaking through the Spirit to us today. And so lots of times, and, and um, 
I meant to, so when we did the book of Proverbs, this is, this is about the size of some of the commentaries I did on the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters and quite long. This is, this is one of the commentaries I'm using on the book of Galatians. And it is five chapters and not quite that long. And so you have sort of this giant contested world that comes about when you move into Paul's letters in Galatians and trying to figure out what was going on. Actually, the translation of the passage we'll be doing today is on the back of the bulletin from that commentary from, from J. Lewis Martin. Um, but this is, this is sort of the world in which we walk into. We walk into this world of somebody else's mail, somebody else's context. And one of the things that I want to talk about next week, which will be a theme for a lot of the other s- sermons, is one of the overarching questions of the book of Galatians is how have you fallen for another gospel? How have you lost the gospel of freedom, of grace, one not contained by works, and gone towards another one? And going back to that original conversation, what I think the question is for us today is what are the things that pull us away from the gospel that was preached and taught to us originally? How do we move on from that gospel? And, and, and next week we'll break that out into um, different realms. There's, there's a prosperity gospel, there's a uh, conversionist gospel that just seeks to sort of convert the world en masse, there's a, a liberation gospel that primarily focuses on, on social justice and this type of things, but abandons other parts of the faith. Um, there's a consumerist sort of gospel. Um, and then we live in this world of, of that experiences the rich inheritance of Christianity. And so a lot of the things that aren't even, let's say, religious in sense, ways of losing the faith, are actually almost more um, perversions of what Christianity is. Uh, so you look at... Um, Tom Holland in his big book on, uh, called Dominion. Tom Holland is not a Christian. This came out two years ago. His big, big Dominion about how Christianity shaped the West. And one of his primary arguments is human rights is something that comes directly backwards to Christianity. And so if you live in the world and you think, you know, I'm not really a Christian, but I'm obsessed with human rights and human dignity and this type of things, what Tom Holland would say is you're living in the religious universe birthed out of Christianity. But the question is, is how do we hear the gospel again? How do we bring back to Paul's sort of radical gospel that transformed the world? And so we're going to walk through it uh, section by section. One of the things to note, or today we're just going to do these first five verses. This is an image. It's on the back wall. It's over there. It says, to the saints of defiance. Now, one of the reasons this comes about is a, uh, a Latino um, man uh, who guest preached here uh, when we changed our name was asking me about something and he sent me an email and he would address all his emails to the saints of whatever church it was and he addressed it to me and he said uh, Pastor Matthew to the saints of defiance and I just love the phrase and it's one um, in certain translations that Paul uses when he writes letters. Now, this is part of the dangerous spot of being a pastor. I love that phrase. I know in the fall we're doing Galatians, or I know in the fall we're doing Paul. And I look at, uh, I don't know if anybody learned to memorize the books after uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then General Electric Power Company. So I look at uh, Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, and to all of them, he says, to the holy ones, which would be to the saints of this place, and this, that, and the other. In my limitedness, and when I pick Galatians, I don't double-check to see if Paul addresses 
the congregation in Galatia that way, and he doesn't. And he doesn't because of the conflict that's going on there, they think, that he leaves that off. Um, and yet, we are inheritors of all those letters. And so we today are, are people who Paul would address as to the saints of defiance. This is the, read the text before you decide uh, to build branding around the text is, is the lesson. I don't know if this will ever happen to you, um, but woe is me. Um, so this is the letter of the Galatians. Um, and we're going to walk through that. The last thing is, uh, my hope is we enjoy the letter and learn a lot from it. This is Martin Luther, though, who really loved the letter. The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. Um, uh, Luther falls in love with the book of Galatians, and it is in this way we get this doctrine of freedom, this doctrine of grace that comes out of the Protestant Reformation. And we have this way of what I said at the beginning, of hearing the book of Galatians in our time and conflicts. When uh, Martin Luther heard the book of Galatians, this message while he was uh, an Augustinian monk and trying to decide, how am I earning my salvation? Am I not earning my salvation? Is my salvation a free gift of the God of Jesus Christ? And he comes to this radical sort of um, uh, sole fide, this, this only faith, this only grace, this only Christ thing. He comes to these sort of positions, and it's through the reading of the book of Galatians, and yet that's not a question that the book of Galatians would have been asking. And so God's Spirit enabled Luther to hear in his context, again with fresh ears, what needed to be done for the church at that time. Um, in a different translation of this, he actually calls it by his wife's name, which I'm not sure how she took, um, <laughs> took that. Um, but but I want to say is that so much of what we hear from the book of Galatians is still dictated by 16th century confirms, concerns, Protestant Reformation concerns. Most of us don't live in contexts where somebody is formally saying you need to try and earn your salvation. And so what radical new thing, not new in the sense of uh, uh, trivial or um, uh, brand new, but in the sense, what might God speak to the 21st century North American church from the book of Galatians that's different from the first century church of Galatia and the 16th century church of Germany and, and Western Europe, Eastern, all of Europe basically anyway, so um, for that matter. Um, and so those are sort of the questions we have before us today. Um, this is, is one of the images of we, Paul we have. The images of Paul are interestingly very consistent, especially from the early church. I don't think this is that early of one, but it's almost as if people who, who knew him were around when they made pictures of his face, um, and that's why they seem to have some consistency to them. Um, and yet Paul is the one, the first phrase of this letter. Paul, an apostle, that is to say a person, this is from the translation on the back of the bulletin, that is to say a person who has been sent on a mission. Paul introduces himself to this congregation, again, as an apostle. Um, and one who's been sent is what apostle means. I'll put that up here. Um, that is to say one sent. Um, and Paul has this apostleness to him. Now, one of the things I talked about is we, we know, in some sense, Paul knows the Galatians. He's visited this congregation. There's, there's sort of evidence within this letter and other places that Paul sort of begins the Galatian church. 
he comes there and he starts this church. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, when Paul goes to a new place, where's the first place he goes? He goes to a synagogue and he tries to start a church there. He tries to gather those who know the story of what God has done uh, in Israel and through Abraham and through David and all those people and to tell them that this has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Come and, and join us in this new Christian mission. The problem is, is that... Um, uh, Galatia is, is so far away from Jerusalem, it, it's much further north. Um, it doesn't seem like there were any sort of Jews here. There may not have been a synagogue. And so Paul, as he reaches and teaches the Galatians, he teaches them a full Gentile, which is outsider uh, of the Jewish faith message, um, which is good for us to hear because that's who we all are. And it's interesting because I think some people inherited in the West today of what Paul has done would say, great, then he can just count off all of the Old Testament stuff. Um, this is a people who lived through the book of Leviticus a couple summers ago, so we are not those people most likely. Um, one of the more painful parts of, of reading through the Old Testament. Um, but Paul, even in this letter, wants to bring them back to what happens in Abraham to sort of tell them about how that faith is influencing this faith. And so Paul distinguishes to them, he's a sent one. Now this apostle word is used in the ancient world for one sent on behalf of someone, that they're, they're sort of descending from another person. But what Paul says right after that, and we'll move, move it into smaller groups now, but if you want to see the fullness of it, you can look at the back of the bulletin. But not by a group of other human beings, nor even by an individual human being. Normally, you would say, oh, you're an apostle, who sent you? The emperor, my friend, Mike. Um, you know, you would have somebody who sent you. But what Paul is reestablishing with the Galatians is he doesn't come from other human beings. He's not sent on the behalf of, and we're going to meet some of these characters as we go through Galatia, uh, Galatians. He's not sent on behalf of James. He's not sent on behalf of the Jerusalem church. He's not sent by any group of other Christians. He's not sent by um, a singular Christian to sort of talk to the Galatians again. He's sent under a different call. Now, what I think is interesting is that he uses two negatives to sort of begin to define who he is. He's an apostle, and he's not, and he's not. He wants to be clear what is not coming with him. And so what he says next is, but rather by Jesus Christ and I changed that seven times. That's God, not Cod. Um, it's the, correct on the back. I guarantee it's correct everywhere else I put it, except for right on this slide. Is it, is it right on the full slide? Uh, this is just my, it is? Just one slide, I missed it. Let's just do that one on this one so you're not thinking of fish and chips. Um, <laughs> sent by God. He's one who's not sent by man or another man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. The Paul wants to be clear is that his apostleship, his sentness to this congregation, doesn't come from anything that he can point that's human-made in the world, but comes from the divine mission that he's received from Jesus Christ. And if you're familiar with Paul's um, sort of journey, he is one who persecutes the church going from town to town and meets the risen Christ on the road and is knocked off his horse, and that changes his life. 
one of the things that I, I think that we can first hear in this beginning parts of Galatians is that we are people, while we have heard the faith through faithful witnesses throughout the years, we are people who first off have had an encounter with um, Jesus Christ and God the Father, with the one who was raised from the realm of those who have died. That that's what brings us about. And then secondarily, he says, from all the brothers and sisters who are with me. Paul, in all his other letters, and you can compare, it might be worth, if you want to this week, comparing the intros to each of Paul's letters, because they're, they're, they contain similar themes, but they have different distinctives, and it's worth thinking about the different distinctives. Here, Paul doesn't name anyone. Often, he'll name specific people whom he is sending this letter with, who are gifting this letter to this congregation. Here, he doesn't name anyone, but he says, all of the brothers and sisters who are with me. In some sense, there are rival visions of the gospel going on in the world, and he is saying, the ones who are with me are the ones who stand with this message. Now, one of the things that I think um, becomes clear from, from the New Testament, if you read it with a critical eye, is that Paul um, is kind of on the losing side of the battle of defining this new gospel. He has congregations that take it well and sort of begin with it, but then he has to send lots of corrections and clarity to this and in a different letter, one of the things that, that we refer to these other teachers as is they sort of consider themselves the super apostles, the super teachers, these ones who come. And what I think is interesting is that Paul's gospel, because it's devoid of human effort and human struggle, even here, he's knowing the, the Jesus Christ and the God who Father who raised him from the realm of the dead. That he's this way of sort of keeping it free from, from human effort and human sort of um, transfiction or... or or um, contingency is that I think one of the reasons why Paul, and, and there's a theory that Paul essentially loses all these battles, his followers bind all his letters together, and 100 years after trying the other gospel, everybody comes back to Paul's gospel. Um, and one of the reasons why I think that that's the case is because if we are beginning this new, and it's hard to think of Christianity as a new thing, um, and partially because of its relationship to Judaism, maybe new isn't the right word, but it's Christianity is this thing being birthed in this world, in this context, this is heritage from Judaism. And people want to say, here's all the activities you could do with it. Have you ever watched an infomercial? Have you ever seen somebody try to sell you on some sort of new thing? I remember when the uh, Seattle Sounders, the soccer team, football for those no one here. Um, soccer um, in Seattle, there was all these ways in which it was a new team and everybody could do something to join the Sounders, uh, I think they called it an army, which I, it sounds odd today, but join the Sounders parade, this group, this army, and this, that, and the other. And we could perform in all these ways, and in some sense, all those fall flat in time. When a new religion or when a new thing comes into the world, a lot of us want to know, what can we do with it? Paul says, you can be a faithful witness to what God has done in Jesus Christ, and you can bring that into your lives in simple and small ways in prayer, knowing your adopted ones out of the present evil age and into this new realm of responsibility in which God is performing and making all things new. And another person comes along and says, here's all the steps you can do apart with that. 
I think there's a little bit in us and a little bit in other people that would say that's, that would be nicer to have like a checklist of things to know as I join up with this new religion rather than this quiet confidence that Paul has and that things have been done through Jesus Christ and the God who raised him and not through all of your human activity and action. Particularly today, I'd like to think I'm a little bit more important than that. And yet what Paul has his confidence in is that we're freed from that way of being in the world. Um, He says the God who raised him from the dead. This is a a Jewish prayer that was either popular right around the same time, maybe a little bit later, maybe a little bit earlier, but Paul as a Pharisee would have known this one. You are mighty, the one who lives forever, the one who raises the dead. Part of what happens in first century Judaism that happens in early Christianity is there's all these things that sort of point to what God has done in Jesus Christ. You can see some in the Gentile world. You see a lot in the Jewish world. And for the Jews, particularly of this time, there's a whole intertestamental literature that we don't have um, in our Bibles, but we can read what Jews were saying during that time. And a lot of it was that God is going to raise us from the dead. The unexpected thing for them would have been that God raised one faithful Jew from the dead in anticipation of raising all people from the dead. But Paul here still is using sort of his Jewish frame to say, you are mighty, the one who lives forever, the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and who in the end will raise all of us from the dead. That becomes a theme in his literature. And this gap is something we'll talk about in a minute as we get further into this opening letter. That's the one I didn't want to be on. May grace and peace come to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, which was when we did uh, Paul last time, was what the sign said, which would be in Galatians. I should have stuck with that one. Um, Grace and peace Paul introduces all of his letters with. And it's almost as if to say, to sort of reset the deck, to say grace is how we got here. Peace is what comes out of this thing. He calls you back in these loaded words to this, this election that we have in Jesus Christ that is not on any merit of our own. It is a grace in what God has done. It centers us again to hear that grace comes from outside of us. And, and Galatians is going to be a powerful reconstruction of grace in light of these other Gospels. He's drawing them to grace and peace again. Peace is both this interior and exterior thing. We see peace, um, often today, unfortunately, in English, peace normally means the absence of conflict, um, which is like everybody's goal for a family Thanksgiving. Um, uh, But in the end, that's not peace. That's just we survived and nobody brought up politics. Um, uh, And Uncle Mike got out of here before things got too heated and that's that and the other. Like, um, but peace has this wholeness and beauty and and vision to it, particularly in the Hebrew, but even in the Greek or in the yeah in the Hebrew shalom. But even in the Greek, there's this idea of more is going on with peace. Now, I don't um, often plug the books we're doing for School of Defiance enough. This is the one we're doing. Uh, coming up. Uh, this is called Unapologetic, Why Despite Everything Christianity Can Still Make Surprising Emotional Sense. One of his things is, I'm not sorry. Um, but I just wanted to read the short passage because it, it relates to the present evil age, but it gives you a sense of the author's um, humor. Or for a piece of famous fluffiness that doesn't just pretend what real lives can be like, but moves on into one's 
on, on t moves on into one of the world's least convincing pretenses about what people themselves are like. Consider the teased and coiffed nylon amountment that is imagined by John Legend. Surely the My Little Pony of philosophical statements. John and Yoko, all, that's funny, the, the My Little Pony of, that's this where I'm trying to get you into the tone of the author, the My Little Pony of philosophical statements. John and Yoko, all in white, John at white piano, drifting through the white room of a white mansion, and all the while the sweet drivel flowing. Imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell, imagine all the people living in. Hello, excuse me, take religion out of the picture and everybody spontaneously starts living in peace? I don't know about you, but in my experience, peace is not the default state of human beings any more than having an apartment the size of Joey and Chandler is. Just see, if you pause, people will laugh. They give you the pity one. Peace is not the state of being we return to like water running downhill whenever there's nothing external to perturb us. Peace between people is an achievement, a state of affairs. We put together effortfully in the face of competing interests and primary dominance dynamics and evolve tendency to cease our sympathies at the boundaries of our tribe. Peace within people is made difficult to say the least by what we tend to have by, uh, to say the least, by that we have tend to have actually, you know, an emotional going on rather than an empty space between our ears with a shaft of dusty sunlight in it and a lone moth flittering round and around. Peace is not the norm. Peace is rare. And where we do manage to institutionalize it in human society, it becomes because we've been intelligently pessimistic about human proclivities and found a way to work with the grain of a system of intense mutual suspicion like the U.S. Constitution, a document which assumes that everybody will be corrupt and power-hungry given half a chance. Uh, an inner version of peace, I'm not, I'm, I'm not at all that often. And I doubt you are either. And I'm pretty sure John, Len John uh, Lennon wasn't either. He ends that phrase with. So that's the plug for the book: is that is that peace is um, external to us. Uh, peace, you know, he's saying there is we like to think if everything disappeared, we'd be peaceful animals, as John Legend says. And what is actually is peace is something that comes into the world through something else. Peace is a project. Peace is, is a moving about. It's not something we achieve just because we've left all things behind. Um, So we did grace and peace, and now we give up our very life for our sins. This is where it gets more familiar for us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up ourselves for our sins. What's interesting about this one is that Paul um, often uses the language of... of um, Sin. He talks about sin in the singular more often than he talks about it in the plural. So sin often in this way, we, uh, I like to think of sin with the way that Paul normally refers to it as this cosmic sort of entity. Sin is not just the individual things you do, but sin is this world-controlling, world-dominating thing that we are all enslaved to. It's what makes peace impossible, and, and John Lennon cannot imagine that. But like we have sin in Paul's language. And, and there are only, I think, three or four instances where he breaks out sins into, and this is one of them, to say, and sins brings with it, I think, this individual action in which we are captured. It's not just that cosmic one. And so Paul, again, predominantly uses the other, but it's interesting to see he uses sins here 
And this is one that I think we perhaps are more familiar with. Most of us um, uh, are presented with the gospel in, in some sort of way like this. This is the classic sort of bridge diagram. On the one side is, is mankind. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin and penalty. Christ paid the penalty. Uh, salvation not by works. Uh, Christ bridges the gap from mankind to God. Uh, the bridge is the cross there. Um, uh, and then we must receive Christ, and then we move from death to life in sort of that way. This is sort of the classic way in which Christianity has explained. And oftentimes what is implied on the mankind half of it is our individual wrong actions. We talk about sins in that way. This is where Paul, I think, fits with this, with this image. And um, Two things to be clear. One, I'm not the biggest fan of this image, but two, it has done powerful good in the world and has instructed people into the gospel. So uh, hear both of those that I think that this, well, like anything, is limited. Um, but this one perhaps is more limited in some ways. Uh, but that's not to say it hasn't done good things in the world, that, that we live in sort of this way. But that one places a heavy emphasis on our individual actions. And what I want to propose is that we have another way of looking at that. But before, I want to read this quote from, from Bart, because I think what oftentimes we miss in, in my own focusness on the cosmic power of sin is that the individual nature of sin and what I want to say about that is I went through a period um, a couple years ago where I thought the worst thing that I had done was the deepest truth about me. And most of our lives, I think we ignore that. Um, I do a great job at ignoring that. But I'm guessing, and maybe this is existential dread that faces pastors alone, but I doubt it, um, is that there are moments in life, whether, whether you're, when you're going to bed, uh, sitting on a chairlift alone, um, uh, pondering. Uh, I think uh, beauty, when, when sometimes we're really struck by beauty, we also are struck by our own unworthiness to be in its presence. This is why I think the, the sentimentality of beauty is bad for us because it often doesn't come with the unworthiness to be in its presence. But what we have is we can begin to believe that the worst action the worst actions, the sins that we have performed are the deepest part of ourselves that are true. And I think in a, in a world in which cancel culture sort of reigns supreme, that, that gets heightened within us. What if somebody finds out about my opinion on X, Y, or Z, and I'm no longer invited into these places? I mean, it's not even just the worst things we've done, the things in which we sort of hold dear, but we don't speak in the world sometimes that we have this way of sort of believing that those are the truth of our nature. And so when Paul says, who gave himself up for our sins, he intends to rescue us from that. He intends to take that away. This is Bart's way of saying that. But the great and inconceivable thing is that he acts as judge in our place by taking upon himself, by accepting responsibility for that which we do in this place. And he does that, it ceases to be our sin. It is no longer our affair to prosecute and to represent this case. This is, we still want to be the judges after we become Christians. We still want to prosecute this case, but he says, it is no longer that for us. The right and possibility of doing so has been denied and taken away from us. 
That feeling you have at those moments has been denied and taken away from you by God. What he and his divine uh, omnipotence did amongst us as one of us prevents us from being our own judges, from even wanting to be, from making that senseless attempt on the divine prerogative, from sinning, being our own judges, from sinning in that way and making ourselves guilty. In that way, he was and in uh, he was and is for us, that end is closed. And the way that he was and is for us, that end is closed to us. And so this is the evil way to that end. He is the man who entered that evil way with the result that we are forced from it. It can no longer be ours. We are people who are freed from that. That God has taken that away from us. Jaco Lul, another thinker, puts it um, that... Uh, our past is not in hell, but now wrapped into the mercy of God. That God frees us from those sins. Those individual actions that sort of bind us together and throw us apart. This is one of Paul's intros, and I think it's important. So that he might snatch us from the grasp of the present evil age, thus enacting in, in, in accordance with the attention of God the Father. I want to talk about the present evil age, but Father has occurred three times in this passage. And one of the things that is major theme in the book of Galatians is that we have now the right to be adopted children of God, and that God has one family, not two. So the super apostles would, would make it seem as he has a Jewish family and kind of a Christian family, but God has one family. But even more so for us that we've been adopted. We are no longer slaves but heirs to that. And that that father language, again, occurring three times, is going to be a theme and that we are adopted into the household of God. Major theme in this letter. That he might snatch us from the grasp of the present evil age. See, this is what I think falls off sometimes with our gospel that's focused on sins, which I hope was powerful the way we thought about it there and can think about it more, but that this age is evil and we are being brought into a new age, that we are being brought to a different place, that God has rescued us from this evil space according to the will of God. This, you guys thought we were done with this. I know some of you have been around. This is a story in an image form of the book of uh, Exodus, that people were in death, they were in slavery, and they were... Uh, um, to Egypt. Uh, now we say that is sin. And they're brought into the wilderness. And we, you are here as that middle section. And we live in this time. So going back to what the Jewish apocalyptic frame was at this time, is they thought God would come and restore everything back at once. And again, the shocker, God raised one faithful Jew from the dead, not everybody yet. And God also allows an overlapping of the ages. There is the present evil age, which will come to an end in the fullness of time, the top line. And then there is the line on the bottom in which we are brought into. Remade for Paul's gospel, there is the old age or the present evil age. It is an age of slavery and sin and death still. Slavery to sin, slavery to our passions, slavery to idolatry that keeps us in death. And through the cross, which is that thing at the top, God has provided rescue and liberation this is the early Christians quickly saw the cross as equivalent to the Passover event, that this is a new exodus that God is performing, not from a human slave master, but from those cosmic powers that keep us captive to them. And through adoption, we move to the second line down below. Our home is not with the present evil age, but with the new age, the new creation that brings with it life to the eternal 
forgiveness and freedom. It brings with it new creation, which is going to be the end of this. And so going back to that other diagram, one of the things that, that N.T. Wright, his uh, New Testament scholar at the moment, has made a living out of is saying, very seldomly in the gospel is the gospels or Paul's letters about going to heaven when you die, but it's about God setting the world to right in new places, about building a new creation in the midst and the ruins of the old one, that God's activity in the world is in that way. Now, I uh, disagree with N.T. Wright because I think that there's a devotional point in thinking about that we are received into God in a way that's beyond some of this human fracturedness. And yet, I still think he is right that oftentimes the the message of the New Testament is deeply ingrained, and not in us getting away from this place, but God coming to dwell in this place again and setting it all to right. And so as Christians, we move into that second timeline and have that as our truer story, that as the depth with is about us, that which is truest of us now. And we live in that box, and so as I say, we live on the second line, but we still have a sin nature that occasionally drags us back to the top line. Um, this is the battle that we will live in sometimes, is that while we have been relocated, the age still talks to us sometimes. Um, and yet we need to see ourselves more fully in that second age. Um, that God has rescued us and done something real in human history and set about this new creation. Um, the, the Acts reading, there's two things. One is the, the psalm reading at the start of the service, I was lifted up out of the miry clay, was supposed to go with the sins talk, that God lifts us up out of these pits. Um, psalm 40 was that. The Acts reading says that we are witnesses to, that God sets us out as his witnesses to this um, setting the world to right that, that Brian read from the book of Acts. What I want to say is that at Defiance Church, when we think about that new creation thing, the language used, the mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of the triune God, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, to the reconciliation of all things. I always say you could put new creation or whatever else you want in re reconciliation of new themes, but one of the things that I think we try to hold is that we are witnesses to that. We don't make it. We aren't it. At best, we gesture towards it to the world, and at goodness times, it strikes like lightning in our presence that forgiveness can reign, that beauty can be here, that God can be alive and active in this space. But that is up to God's will and not up to ours. And so the reason why I bring this up again is to say, as we talk about new creation and being a people of new creation, we are witnessing to what God did in Jesus Christ, not to what we do in ourselves. God be the glory throughout the whole of eternity. Amen, is what Paul ends with. Now, I noticed when uh, Jeremy read it, the congregation, at least half of you, responded with amen. That is Paul's um, genius in this letter, because the congregation that he's writing to, splintered as it is from him, when this was read aloud, which is what it would have been read as in the first century, read aloud, would have been captured into this enough to say also amen which brings him to the next line. I am astonished that you are quickly deserting. He's brought them to this place of worship where God is active amongst them. And in the next Sundays, we're going to be discerning how is it we can hear again what God has done for us and let go of the false gospels that have creeped into our world and be brought to the fullness of God um, to the one who is Father as we are adopted into his life and new creation by the power of the Spirit. Let us pray. God, you 
are making a new people in the world through the power in which you raised your son from the dead. It is an Easter people, a resurrection people, a new creation people, a new life people. You have revealed to us the present evil age, but have set us in a different frame. As we live in the overlap of these two times, draw us deeper into who we are to you. Not known by our sins, the worst things we've done, but rescued from that as you gave yourself up for us. And we too captured from this present evil age so that we can be your offering witnesses in the world to this new creation that will come in the fullness of time. We all this ask this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand with us if you can. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father, praise the Son Praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings, to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you sought to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, for joy our sake you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. And in the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath Till that stone was moved for good For the Lamb had conquered death 
stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me praise the father praise the son praise the spirit three in one god of glory forever to the King of Kings. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. Each Sunday we proclaim the faith that was passed on to us in the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father, mighty, the greater of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into the dead. And on the third day he rose again. He ascended to the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the remnants of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. For those wondering, occasionally we get questions when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It means the universal church, the church throughout the world. But now is our time of confession in which we confess our sins together. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sins to God together. Mercy of God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what shall be, so that you may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the, the glory, glory of your holy name. Christ, who gave himself for our sins, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. 
Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen. Now we prepare our hearts for communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, whoever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, 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 holy Lord, power of might and might. Heaven and verse are full of your hand. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is given for you. And in the same way, after supper, he takes the cup, and he says, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. For whenever you eat from this bread or drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let us bless communion with the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, Father who is in hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It is Christ who invites you to meet him here. We'll go around the room and sort of come forward as it gets to your section. But at Defiance Church, all who call on Jesus as Lord are invited to come forward and receive communion. I have bread and Jamie has a cup of wine. You would take bread and dip it into the wine. Or you could receive grape juice and a cracker or gluten-free cracker up there and grapes and crackers for the children as well. Um, but it's Christ who invites you here. Come forward as you feel led. Son and Spirit, Holy Communion, three in one. Holy Father, Son and Spirit, Holy Communion, three in one. Come with your peace, with your invitation, find us together in With your invitation, find us together in holy love. Holy Father, Son, and Spirit, holy communion, three in one. Holy Father, Son, and Spirit, holy communion, three. with your invitation find us 
Let us pray together. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with the spiritual food in the body and his blood. Send us now into the world of peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, now, uh, the offering is in the back um, next to my office. You can see a sign for it. But also, are the books for the next book study is next to it, too. So if you're interested in joining us for that. But now is our time of responding to the word of thanksgiving and prayers of the people. Um, we will also bless the tacos uh, in our prayer time. That way we can eat when we get out there. They're here already. I can smell them. Um, Shelley. Yeah. Thank you, Shelley. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but it was my daughter's first birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just very grateful for her. Um, and we got to celebrate. So I thought one more day of the outfit. You could all celebrate with her. <laughs> Kim.
Well, let us keep Ruth in our prayers then. There's a couple announcements in the bulletin, um, but uh, now we will go to the Lord in prayer together. House of Defiance is this week. The Glenwood one is meeting the week after. Those will continue in a regular pattern. The book, um, uh, if you're interested in uh, young adults or youth, uh, sixth grade through eighth grade, um, sixth grade through high school, uh, let me know. I'm sending out an email about that this week. David? more pizza. Uh, and if you need the address, you can ask me, text me. Uh, the, my number's on the back of the bulletin um, for that. Or you can ask David after the service. Yeah. 415 Will Avenue, Rifle, Colorado. Let us pray together. During this time, we'll read this slide together, and then we'll have a time of open prayer time for those prayer concerns that were stated or unstated, and then um, we'll close in prayer together and uh, sing the doxology and then go out. May our gracious God, who shines, shines in the darkness of our lives, one who formed creation, now hear prayers we offer this day for all Let's Lord hear a prayer.
God, we give you thanks for the children of this church. Uh, we remember Prairie. She celebrated her first birthday yesterday. May you continue to protect and guide and help the children of this church. And we pray for Emily and Rachel, too, as they are with child, that you would continue to guide and have your hand in healthy pregnancies for them. And we give you thanks for the beauty of today, God, for the gift of your creation, for the time we have to eat and celebrate together this fall kickoff. Um, we ask that you bless the food to our bodies and that we um, celebrate well around it, the goodness that you have been in our lives. And so we close in prayer together. Hear our prayers of the mystery of your Son. Free us from the grip of the tomb, that we may desire you as the fullness of life and proclaim your lasting deeds to all the world. Please stand and let us sing the doxology together. Well, may we go forth as those who have heard the message that we have been freed from our sins and rescued from the present evil age through the will of God our Father, whom the glory be forever and ever. Amen. Uh, chairs are downstairs, but food is out back, so go and eat and have food. Yes, we can have some helpers just grab some chairs, chairs. and bring them. And then the food is in the backyard if you want to join us for tacos. Everybody is welcome, and there should be plenty.